Who is this Jesus? In our scripture reading today, Jesus is actually on the run. He's running from He's running for his life, hastily leaving Jerusalem and trying to find refuge in a rural area around the Sea of Galilee. So he's actually running from the authorities. So who is this Jesus? Is he a criminal? And thank you, Stacy, for the, the bridge. We're actually taking a journey through the Gospel of John. And I invite you to join us and the Lord can bring you into whatever depth of meaning you want. So thank you for that. And Stacy gave us a bridge, showed us why he's in trouble. He healed somebody on the Sabbath day. Someone who was really sick for 30 years. And Jesus heals them. And now they, they literally want to kill him for being so nice. So some would think he was a criminal. Oh, he broke the law. He broke the Sabbath law, they thought. Now others thought he was a healer. And he healed people from all sorts of diseases. Cases where the doctors couldn't do anything. Cases where every, everyone said there was no hope. And he healed people without charge. How much does it cost a lot of us to go to the doctor or the hospital these days? Can lose your house, everything you own. Jesus charged nothing. The greatest healer to ever walk the earth. He healed without any fee at all. So John tells us in his gospel, we're in the sixth chapter now. In verse 2, he tells us the reason why the people were following him that day. And it's because they'd seen his miracles of healing. So who is this Jesus? Many people in the crowd were asking themselves that. They were talking about it amongst each other. They were Jews, and their great prophet Moses had written about a prophet even greater than himself. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken. And the crowds were thinking about Moses because this was a special time of year. It was getting close to the Passover. We see that in verse 4. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. It's getting near. And the, the Jews associated the, the Passover with Moses, particularly Moses leading the people into a desert place. And there he... Through him, the Lord provided manna, bread from heaven. And looking around on that day, they saw themselves in a similar situation. They're in a wilderness place. Following Jesus. So if he was that greater prophet, would they see a miracle like Moses did? Verse 5. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he said to Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And he said this to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. So God does prove people or test people. He doesn't test people with evil. James makes that clear in his letter. Chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried... He shall receive the crown of life, 
which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So God won't tempt you or try you with evil, but yes, God will test you with good. So he asked Philip, where are we going to buy food for all these people? But while he's asking that, Jesus knew in himself already what he was going to do. He's going to multiply those loaves and those fish. And we're learning about God now. Jesus said to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And God's spirit is everywhere. We also need to, to worship God in truth. What does God tell us about himself? So what do we know about God except for what he's told us in his word? But we're learning about God now. What he's like, how he talks to us. And how he proves us. And we need to get this because I know and have known Christians that get stuck. They believe that, that God has told them something and they get stuck there. And I talk to them and they, they describe to me what they think that they, they heard from God. But it's been 10 or 20 or 30 years or more. And it hasn't happened. And there comes a time to re-examine what I think that God has told me. And this is one of the principles. Even if I really did hear God's voice, it could be a test, as is was the case here. And sometimes people get stuck because they're powerless to make a change. Here, Jesus was showing them a need. All these hungry people in the wilderness area, 5,000 men, plus women and children. So in other words, 5,000 families, a lot of people. God showed them a need. And they had that desire from the Lord. Yes, it was from, right from Jesus, right? To make a change. But it was too big for them. There was really nothing they could do. So verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that everyone may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? So Philip mentions 200 penny worth or 200 denarii. And I don't think it's just a number he pulled out of the air. I think anyway that that's the amount they had. And he's saying even if we gave every single penny that we have, it's not going to make a dent hardly in the need. And where can we buy the bread? Let's say we have the money, which we don't. Where are we going to buy it in this wilderness place? There's no stores. There's nobody with that much bread, no, never mind willing to sell it to us. So then Andrew says, here's a little boy. He's got five barley loaves and two fishes. And these loaves, if you look into it, weren't big loaves of bread. You know, we got a big loaf of wonder. Didn't call that bread. <laughs> with a bunch of slices and that's a loaf of bread. When they say loaves here, it's more like the size of a hamburger bun, not a bagel, but something, you know, little cakes or whatever, five little cakes. And if you look at the word that John uses for fish, not this John, the Apostle John, um, it's not like a big fish, you could have a big filet for your entree, it's not that, it's like a little tiny fish already cooked, and the word means like a garnish, in other words, it's already cooked so you could smash it, spread it on your the little bit little bit of bread you have, it's a garnish. So, so it's not uh, plain, you know, it has some flavor. Just a little garnish to go with these little cakes. 
So, you know, if we put it in today's language, a custom might be a boy with a brown bag lunch. Today, maybe you'd have a tuna fish sandwich, you know, and 5,000 families. And they don't know what to do, so that I think you'd call it brainstorming. Oh, even if we give every penny, it's not enough. We got this one tuna fish sandwich. That's not going to put a dent in the need. And Lord, I, we believe you've shown us the problem. What can we do? How can we make a difference for the better? And they're throwing out ideas. Don't we do that at church meetings sometimes? Throwing out ideas. How can we meet this need? And sometimes we don't know. And here's the encouragement in that. It's just because we don't know what to do yet. God hasn't showed us yet. That doesn't mean that God isn't in it. It can be. It can be right from Jesus' lips as it was that day. Verse 10, And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. So you can see here that the people came expecting. They followed Jesus into this wilderness place, and they were hungry, and they kept following and kept following Him. You ever try to climb even Blue Job Mountain? They call it a mountain, but <laughs> but even that little hill, you ever try climbing that when you're hungry to start with? My goodness. But they kept following him and following him. They're not getting closer to the restaurants and stores, right? They're getting further away. Kept following him, getting hungrier and hungrier and tired and more tired, deeper and deeper into that wilderness. And they were following Jesus. Are you following Jesus? And if you're following him, who do you think he is? Who is this Jesus? And why are you following him? The people on that day were following Jesus, expecting a miracle. And it says that they, they'd seen Jesus do many miracles. Many of the people in the crowd that day had personally received at least one miracle for themselves. Others, I believe, were still waiting for that miracle. They hadn't received it yet. And still others wanted a miracle for a member of the family or a friend, a loved one, just, just like us today. What was our prayer time today? But everyone came expecting. God had used his word to plant a mustard seed of faith in their hearts. And as it grew and grew, God was giving them the, the ability to believe for greater and greater things. So they were learning faith, they were following Jesus, and listening to him, they were receptive, they were expecting. So when he says, sit on the grass, they sat down waiting to receive something. And there's a parallel account in the Gospel of Mark, and according to that, Jesus told them to sit down in groups according to their heritage. And sit on this green grass. In New Hampshire and New England, we're famous around the world for our leaves. They're actually about peak right now, I think. The beautiful leaves we have in the fall. Around the Sea of Galilee, it's the green grass of the spring. And it's breathtaking. And the passage says in verse 10, if you look, it says it was a lot of grass in that place. So when the Lord instructed the people to sit in these little family groups. It was a custom of the Jews to have robes and clothing of certain colors compared to 
for their family, the different families had colors, so you'd have this breathtakingly, vividly beautiful grass with, with these spots of color. It's a pastoral scene, I would call it a beautiful scene, and it brings to mind Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. But then the psalmist goes on to say, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And Jesus was fleeing from his enemies. And those following him were risking being associated with him, right? They were seeking to murder Jesus. And for following him, they could lose their lives. And Christians all around the world are being jailed and tortured and even losing their lives for Christ. In America these days, it tends to be more subtle. It's more like peer pressure and somebody might think less of you if you choose to follow Christ. But is it worth it to you? Will you still follow Jesus? And here's the teaching that he'll prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. So in John chapter 6, verse 10, so the men sat, the men sat down in number about 5,000 and Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. So the people ate until they were full. And for many of them, it was a first-time experience. In other words, never before in their lives had they had enough food available to eat until they were full. Like we say, we're stuffed, or I couldn't eat another morsel. And that was true a lot of the children, even a lot of the adults on that day. And there's people like that today. We can look to faraway lands. But even more and more in our own country, there's people that have never had enough food to be full. And how can that happen? Well, children depend on their parents. So if you have child abuse and neglect, you can have hunger in the midst of plenty. Other times it's emotional or an addiction. The, the, the person isn't capable of properly taking care of themselves. And other times, even in this nation, it's poverty. Just can't afford the food. Just can't buy it. Even in America. And our nation can do better. And we should. But even so, there's things we can't do. There's times when God shows us the problem and we might even hear God's voice the way that Philip did. Asking, what are we going to do to help these people? And it's too big for us. We need a miracle. So do you believe in miracles? And I'm not just talking about miracles back then if you believe that the Bible's true and miracles happened thousands of years ago. Do you believe that miracles can happen today? And is God willing to do miraculous things on the earth. People on that day came expecting. And when Jesus told them to sit down on that beautiful grass, they sat down expecting to receive something. But should we expect to receive a miracle today? We voice many needs. Do we believe that miracles really happen? 
So first I'd like to look at the, the reason for that miracle on that day, long ago, hills of Galilee. Verse 14, Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. So they saw this miracle similar to the one that Moses did. And they came to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the prophet greater than Moses, that Moses said would come. And it wasn't just an offhand remark. Look at the language used. This is of a truth, that prophet. In other words, this is certainly true. What we've seen with our own eyes convinces us beyond any doubt that Jesus is the Christ. And we need miracles. We voice them today, our community, our nation. We need miracles from God. And I believe we need to balance it with this principle, that miracles aren't a substitute for hard work. God wants us to put forth our best efforts. He wants us to give and sacrifice and miracles aren't a substitute for tithing and giving. So perhaps Americans, we need to relearn things we once knew, things our grandparents knew, and put them into practice. The disciples on that day were offering everything they had. Here's 200 denarii. Take it, Lord. Not holding anything back. Might be a drop in the bucket, but if you want it, it's yours. This little kid has a little lunch. But we offer it to you. And all of us, we have talents and abilities. We have time and material resources and money. And once we're committed, God will step in and do what we're unable to do. But God does take it. He takes what we have. Look at the passage. He took the little brown bag lunch and multiplied it. And everyone had enough. The boy didn't keep it for himself. He gave it to the apostles that gave it to Jesus. So here's a picture of the church. Verse 12. Then they were filled. Pardon me. Then they were filled. He said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. So they ended up with a lot more than they started with. And God expects us to sacrifice, but he's not really taking anything from us because he multiplies it and we're in a better place. A lot of Christians think that tithing's unreasonable, like 10% of my income, it's huge, it's crazy. At least from their perspective. Tithing, in fact, does take faith, and I believe it's because God designed it that way. He designed it to take faith, and I believe it leads us into greater and greater faith. And the Bible calls tithing first fruits. In other words, don't wait till the end of the week or the end of the month, and don't wait until after you pay all your bills, see, see what's left over, and then give God the leftovers. What did the little boy do? Did he eat his tuna fish sandwich and then say, Oh, Lord, I'm full now. I have a couple crumbs. Take that and feed other people. He might have been a little kid. knew a lot more about giving than probably most of the adults. And the scripture says, A little child shall lead them. 
Isaiah 11, verse 6. And likewise, Jesus wants you and me to have childlike faith. Matthew 18, you read about the disciples uh, essentially arguing about who's the greatest. Well, there's a problem. <laughs> he was trying to reach them, so he took a little boy and set them in the midst and says, uh, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Become like a little child. In other words, the world has all kinds of problems. Who can deny that? It's hard for me to make it through the news. And maybe God doesn't even want to inflict upon myself the TV news and get discouraged. Not all of it, anyway. Not in one sitting. There's so many problems. But God doesn't need a great man to fix the problems he's unable to fix. I mean, who would even think that? But if we're trying to fix problems on our own power, that's essentially what we're saying. God's not looking for great men and women. He's looking for little people and weak people that know they're little and weak. And He's looking for people that confess, know and confess, I don't have the understanding here. I don't know what to do. Lord, show me. I want Your way. That We confess we have a lack of understanding. A little boy said, I don't have very much, but what I have, I'm giving it to you. And the Lord's proving us today. He wants us to share our time, talent, money, energy, helping the less fortunate. And one more thing is, is something America has been forgetting. Let's remember to share our faith. Jesus is sending each one to reach one. And why, why did the miracle happen at all? How did the people have the faith to sit down expecting a miracle? It's because for hundreds and hundreds of years, prophets from their people went out telling them about Jesus. So on that day when they were introduced to Jesus, they had the faith to expect a miracle. And let's us leave this place, go out, and do the same. Amen.